You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical or theological questions in 10 minutes or less. Today's question comes from Valerie. Quote, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Quote, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. What does it mean when we repent from a sin repeatedly, but just cannot seem to shake it in light of these verses? Thank you. Big question, Valerie. And it sometimes falls across lines. You know, I often talk about my Reformed friends, and I talk about arch-Reformed Christians. And I want to be very careful and kind when I say that, but there's some that can be very strident and very grind an axe pretty sharply. There's a young man I follow on Instagram that I really love and respect. He's newly married. I'm intrigued by him. His title of his, I won't shut him out, but he has a lot of these kind of things. And he'll take a verse and then he'll say something like, if you love sin more than Jesus, you don't love Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, at the surface, I'm okay with mm-hmm. that. But then he will say something like, if you love sin more than you love Jesus, you're not a Christian or something like that. And I'm like, well, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. it goes a little far. So yeah. let's talk about some language that used to be used. It's not used today because it all changes. But right. when I was younger, we talked about characteristic sin. Okay. If a person lived in characteristic sin, he was probably not saved. So that's like all the time. Let's take a LGBTQA person who says they're a believer in Jesus, but they live that lifestyle. Yep. So it's easy to brand a person and say, oh, if you're living that way characteristically, okay. not repenting from that sin, okay. you can't be a Christian. Okay. Now, on the surface, that sounds like an intellectually accurate sentence, okay. but I can't go there biblically or theologically. Yeah. In Matthew chapter 5, and let's caveat this, 5 through 8 is so-called Sermon on the Mount. But let me just briefly read these stanzas. I'm not going to read the whole sermon, obviously. But in chapter 5, verse 27, 38, and 43, just as examples, Mm -hmm. Jesus says, you've heard it said, Mm -hmm. and then he explains something. And then he says, but I I say say to you. Each time he does that, he's quoting the law of Moses. Mm-hmm. This isn't some like you know common motto of the day. He's quoting the law. Mm-hmm. And the three in mind are adultery, mm-hmm. talionic justice, and that's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, mm-hmm. and thirdly, loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. So each time he quotes the law, and then instead of dismissing it or, quote, fulfilling it, which mm-hmm. he fulfilled the law, or doing away with the law, I would say he turns up the heat. He makes it worse. It makes it way harder. It makes it impossible. (laughs) So let me give you an example. Matthew 5, 27, 28. You have heard it said, there's our formula, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, okay, he's Mm going to add to or explain or exposit the verse. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, it doesn't take a theologian to understand this. This is not a hard thing to read and understand. Whenever my friends would say characteristic sin, I would say, how are you going to measure that? Right. At what point is it characteristic? And when I read Matthew 27 and 28, I go, anytime. Sin is a heart condition, not a outward evidence-based. He says that in his heart. He's already committed adultery. So. Jesus addresses the heart. I use a phrase, most of my sin is between my temples. 
right. pointing to my forehead. Yeah. Most of my sin is there. I don't act out on it. Right. But if I dwell on something, if I daydream about something, yeah. if I look at a, another person with lust, yep. I've sinned. Yeah. Period. Right. So can any Christian say, I don't lust anymore? No. And you know my illustration, money, sex, and power, the three umbrellas. And First John 2, 16, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And this is, this is a link back to chapter uh, 2 in Genesis where she looks at the fruit. It looks good and so forth and so on. It's lust of flesh, lust of the eye, boastful pride of life. So last thing, let me appeal to Romans chapter 7. And let me say a little sort of header on this. Christians disagree with this chapter intensely. Okay. Many Christians think this is Paul before he came to Christ, and he's hmm. writing about his life before he was saved. Interesting. Because they don't want to deal with it. It's a delicious way to get out of it, but the hermeneutically, we never do this with other passages of the Bible. Right. And you have to take five, six, seven, and eight as a unit. And I love chapter seven. I love it because he talks about the two natures in chapter Seven verse fourteen, the law is spiritual, but I'm of flesh, mm-hmm. sold into bondage to sin. And he goes back and forth with all these things that he does that he knows it's wrong. Yep. My flesh is always pulling me towards sin. But let me just read the last five verses of the chapter. This is Romans chapter seven, verse twenty and twenty-five. If I'm doing the very thing I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it but sin which dwells in me. Mm-hmm. I find then the principle is this, that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Yep. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind mm-hmm. and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, mm-hmm. which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. I don't think that's pre-conversion. He's saying, I got this tension. Right. And then right. eight, chapter 8, verse 1 has to be read. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. So, and he goes on to explain this law of sin and law and death in chapter eight. So all that to say, again, some are going to disagree with this landing spot because they don't think that's Romans seven. I think the tension is always there. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think you can measure your spiritual life based on a sin all the time. What I would say, probably every Fourth, ask Dr. E, God's word, God's spirit, God's people. You need those three. The corollary, if I'm in the word and I'm in prayer and I'm around like-minded Christians, sin lessens its grip on me. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing these things entirely, but I can tell you in my spiritual life and spiritual disciplines, when I'm in the word, when I'm in prayer, when I'm around God's people, these things lose their control. They yep. lose their grip on me. Yep. And I'm staying busy with good things yep. as opposed to 
idle time yeah. that gets me in trouble. I remember hearing a Bible teacher teach on this passage, and she might not even have said it in these words, which, as you know, people hear what they like, kind of want to sure. hear. <laughs> but not that I wanted to hear this, but one of the things I really took from it was her saying, you know, some of us read this, and we get so caught up in the focus on the sin that we're struggling with. And and yeah, I mean, we want to submit that sin to the Lord. We want to be obedient, whatever. But she was like, the good news and what Paul's talking about is you have this tension in you because the Holy Spirit dwells within ah. you. And if you did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you would have zero tension and you would just be living the way you wanted to live and there'd be no issues. And so, you know, she's like, this is mm. a sign of the Christian life is that you have this Conviction. tension. Yeah. yeah. I was just took encouragement from that. Of, well, e- even, you know. even I would add to that, even a guilty conscience, because right. before we know Christ, we know things are wrong. True. True. We can sear that conscience, yeah. scripture says, yeah. but you're exactly right. That's a great point. I hadn't thought about it that way. When you have that conflict of, you know, guilt and shame. I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard today. We've all been burned, and I don't trust anybody <laughs> anymore. Right. Everybody. I mean, it's, you know, I've been burned in, in recent weeks, and I just get so, uh, Lord, sheep, you know, but I'm the same way. And to ask someone that I trust, I'm really, really having difficulty with this part of my life. Yeah. I mean, people have same-sex attraction. I have great, great empathy for yeah, them. Me too. Christopher Yuan has been such an encouragement helping me understand some of these things. Saria Butterfield, who's also been on our podcasts, to help me understand, look, when you are living a certain lifestyle and you're loved yeah. and welcomed yeah. and not judged, yeah. it's it really, really hard. <laughs> and then but there's that twinge. Yeah. There's that, is this right? Yeah. Our friend Dottie Britton, when she told her three sons, yep. if you had to think about it twice. Yeah. Probably shouldn't do it. Shouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good life lesson. That's Romans 7 right yeah. there. Truly. If you think about it twice, walk away. Don't do it. <laughs> well, if you've got a question for Dr. E, call us, text us, email us. The info's in the show notes. Ask Dr. E is produced by me, Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic, and music composed by Jason Germain. 